Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hey friends, welcome back to Therapy and Theology. I'm excited to be back with you in talking about love and what it means to be loved, what love is, how we are to love, how we've been created for love. And today, the final aspect of this is going to be asking the question, who we are to love. This is taken out of Luke 10. We've been anchoring ourselves in this passage where Jesus calls us to remember the impact and importance of relationship. This attachment language where he says, the most important thing, the most important thing you need to know is to love God and to love others. And we do this out of getting to know the one who loves us. And then we are instructed throughout this passage to not just love God, but to love him with all of who we are, our heart, our mind, our soul and strength. Then the final verse says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But what does this mean? If we look back at the account in Luke 10, we find the same question posed to Jesus by one of the religious leaders in the following verse. He says this, who is my neighbor? I believe that this question maybe was a little deflective and maybe trying to justify his limitations for acceptance, because in this culture, as we'll talk about today, there was a lot of division between the Jewish culture and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so Jesus' response, as always, leads us to an illustration of the Good Samaritan. So if you haven't read the story of the Good Samaritan, it's found in Luke 10, and the story depicts four main characters. First, the man who was robbed and left for dead, the priest, the Levite, and then lastly, the Samaritan. These characters are not widely understood in our culture context, yet they would have been very well known in first century Judaism. This narrative, categorized as a parable, was a story that could have been taken quite literally since those listening would have known well the path that led from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was frequented by priests and Levites and known for its treacherous ravines and thieves who would hide and steal. When we look back at the story, the first man identified is assumed to be Jewish, yet in light of his brutal beating and gory presentation, he was intentionally avoided by the priest and the Levite. Both avoided the man in need, maintaining their distance for the sake of maintaining religious rule. Then enters the final character of the narrative, the Samaritan. And this is where things get a little bit tricky. Although there is ample history dealing between the conflict of the Samaritans and the Jews, 
it's easiest to note that the Jews had rejected the Samaritans based on a differing belief, and this division between them was widely known. Thus, naming a Samaritan would have been borderline offensive to the Jewish audience because a Samaritan would have been the least likely to help a Jew who would have hated him. Yet Jesus was making a significant point here. Regardless of theological differences or ways of life, ethnicity or position, there is an invitation to neighborly compassion. Jesus goes on to detail the Samaritan's response of compassion, care, and charity. Not only does he see the man in need of help, but he has compassion. He binds his wounds, using his own resources to prevent further infection and harm, and carries him on his animal to the nearest inn. To add to this compassion and care, the Samaritan offers financial support for the care and continued healing. Jesus concludes this story with a thought-provoking question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer is pretty evident. The one who has shown mercy. And I'm sure this was a hard blow to the Jewish audience who for centuries had been accustomed to maintaining their circles of acceptance within their religious community. Yet Jesus's invitation was to show mercy and care to others, even those we judge harshly. Culturally, this would have been a widely different approach to relationships, and I believe it still is today. The invitation of compassion widens the window of acceptance, not based on confirming beliefs or ways of life, but based on being a valued human being made in the image of God. This is for us today, the same invitation to love God and to love others as ourself. To show the world and those in it a way of life that is not passing by or passing judgment, but bridging a gap between differences on the basis of God's compassionate heart for his people. One of my professors put it this way. We are to be world formative rather than world avertive in the way we live. And this starts with being moved to mercy for our culture. It begins with conversations of compassion rather than controversial comments of moral conflict. We are called to not conform to the culture, but shape the culture with compassion and care. And as Second Timothy puts it, gentleness. We are to invite others into a family of misfits who have found grace defy fears that propitiate shame and move towards others who may share vastly differing experiences yet still hold the signature of the image of our creator. As beloved, we are to love others as they are beloved also. Henry Nouwen puts it this way, the gift we can give is the gift of their belovedness. In this, all people are to be shown dignity and respect as God's children, regardless of differing beliefs, attitudes, or behaviors. This does not mean we have to agree with everyone or hold the same beliefs. It is truly a basis for relational connection. I think the best place to start is by looking back at the story and identifying with its characters. So first we had the man that was robbed. We see that he is in need and maybe was even deemed unholy because of his presentation. He truly was in need of support and care. And I can't help but wonder if we can put ourselves in the shoes of that man. Have you ever experienced rejection? 
Have you been left out or treated as inferior or felt like you were passed by? If you have, if we can lean into that woundedness, we can maybe hold more compassion for the wounds of other people. And this is a difficult thing because naming our own woundedness and naming our neediness allows us to be able to expand and hold space for other people's neediness. Then we have the priest and the Levite. They were seen as religious, maybe even judgmental, concerned about image and rule. Those that can fall into this category maybe have very specific rules that they keep. And maybe they only relate to people that are like them. And there might be some concern with relating to anybody else that believes something different from them. I will also go first in saying that I have been this person. I have passed judgment where it was not necessary And I have placed my religious beliefs in superiority over others. And as being on both sides of this, I know and see how damaging that can be. And then we see the Samaritan. And I think this is a beautiful depiction of what God has encouraged us to be, regardless of our place. Maybe it's even against the religious culture in some sense here. The Samaritan takes on compassion. And we see how we can connect our heart, mind, soul, and strength to this scenario. So first we see in this passage that the Samaritan saw the man. When we see someone, but we take it in, right? We are looking at someone and noticing something. And this is the question of awareness of other people. Do we have awareness of other people? And what are our thoughts connected to that awareness? Our knowledge and thoughts, maybe even our assumptions at times, recognizing that our mind is oftentimes the first thing that shows up when we are engaging with someone. And so checking in with what is my awareness with others? What are my thoughts and my knowledge of maybe this person? And this can create curiosity. This can create a compassion. We see in the next part of this passage, it says he felt compassion. He did not just see this person and think something. He then, it translated from his mind to his heart and he felt compassion And this is the emotional reaction that tells us or motivates us to do something. So rather than out of obligation, he is moved out of affection, affection and desire to help this person in need. And then we see how the strength is then connected to this. It says he went to him. He moved, right? He had an action out of love that moved him to help this man in need. This is our action and our capacity. But what I also absolutely love as a therapist about this passage is that his love and his action had limits. And these are healthy limits. A movement and measure of our limits is really important. When we are loving others, when we are moving towards people in love and out of an affection for their good, we also can honor our limits and be able to say what we are willing and unwilling to do. So as we process this story and ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? Who has God called me to love? Oftentimes, religion can impact our relationship negatively. And this can come from a overemphasis on self-righteousness or judgment or superiority versus the fruit of the Spirit, something that has given me so much freedom in my walk with Christ and within relationships is recognizing that the same spirit that's alive in me is also working in the lives of those around me. And this allows me to love freely without 
trying to control or change or fix someone else's beliefs or attitudes. So one of the things I would encourage you to do today is ask the question, where can you begin to use these steps as the Good Samaritan to love others well in your life? This may look as simple as becoming aware of people. Maybe it's checking in with your emotions and your body and saying, how do I feel about what just happened there? What is my emotional reaction telling me about what I want or need? And then also asking yourself, what is my role? Do I move towards this or is this within my capacity? Something that I've been practicing a lot in my own work is asking the question, is this for right now? Being able to set limitations and honor our limits can be really difficult because I think for many of us, we want to help others and be good Samaritans to other people. And yet we have edges. And so being able to honor those edges is a good practice of being spirit-led, checking in with ourselves, checking in with God and asking, what is my role here? And is this for right now? Or maybe do I have to say, not right now? So my closing prayer and hope is that we may honor the words of Jesus and go and do likewise, that we would be able to grow this year in 2024 in the awareness of our own belovedness, moving out of that, receiving and giving love from our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkguyer.com. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.